before we dig into this. So I'm wondering if any of you guys are aware that we're in the final weeks of a big election. Anybody? (laughs) Friendly people calling you, asking for your very important opinion. I think I had at least 26 phone calls on Thursday when I was homesick, finalizing this message. And sometimes I, as I was thinking about this whole thing, I, I think the whole political season in our country feels a bit like this. Do you remember that? Just a few other pictures. I love these faces. Look at that. Doesn't it sometimes seem like that? So I think this is the kind of teaching where it is easy for us to show up on a Sunday morning and have a lot of expectations and hopes about what you hope you will hear and think you will hear from the front. And so I want to start off by being very clear about what I am going to say and about what I am not going to say. That way, if your hopes are dashed, they'll be dashed right away, right? And then we can move on. So you are not going to hear from me how you should vote or for whom you should vote. You are not going to hear from me that one of our political parties is the Christian party. Because no political party fully encompasses the teachings of Jesus, and they never will. You are not going to hear me badmouth politicians or brave people who put themselves voluntarily into a rather ruthless system in this country in the hopes of serving their community or state or nation. But you are going to hear from me the same basic outline that's going to be taught across the board this morning that Ed's going to teach down in the community center, that Tim's going to teach in Lincoln and Grundy Center. And I want you to know, I think this is very important for the Orchard Hill congregation to know that this unified message comes out of a teaching team that is diverse in our thinking and in our experiences when it comes to the political world. We're probably as diverse as this congregation is. And this is a good thing. This is a biblical thing. I want you to think for just a minute with me about the politically charged world in which Jesus lived out his ministry. The Jews were oppressed by an occupying Roman government. And within that context, Jesus chose his disciples, his team, his closest friends. And so he chose Matthew, a tax collector a person who partnered with that hated and oppressive Roman government to overtax his own Jewish people. And Matthew just swiped a little bit off the top as well for himself. At the same time, Jesus also chose Simon, who was a zealot. And zealots believed that you should never partner with the Romans like the tax collector did. Instead, they wanted a military triumph over the Romans. They wanted to kind of take their nation back for God through through taking up of arms. One writer says that Matthew and Simon were so far apart politically, it would be like having Ralph Nader, do you remember Ralph Nader? And Rush Limbaugh on the same team. Just imagine it. Yet Matthew and Simon spent three years ministering together alongside Jesus on a team through which God changed the world. 
Because what united them, which was their commitment to Jesus, was far greater than what divided them, which were their political views. So our teaching team has diverse views on political issues, not quite as diverse as Nader and Limbaugh, I'm thankful to say. But those differences that we have pale in comparison to the unity that flows out of our commitment to Jesus. And so our voices this morning are united. And this is our basic message. God cares more about our hearts as his people than he does about how we vote. God cares more about how we treat people, especially those with whom we disagree and those who are far from God, than he does about how we vote. And that is what I hope you hear this morning. And here's a main reason why. The scriptures tell us that we are to see ourselves as aliens and strangers in this world and that our true citizenship is in the kingdom of God. We are, first of all, citizens of the kingdom of God. The writer of the book of Hebrews, if you know this famous chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, this chapter where the writer of Hebrews is, is talking about all of these great people of the faith, especially from the Old Testament. And he's recounting the ways that they kept their faith through their hard life. This is what he says, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, starting with verse 13. He says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. He's saying the things that God had promised to them, many of them did not receive before they died, but they kept believing. And he says, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on this earth. And then Paul writes in his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians 3 verse 20, but our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. You see, we live here for now. Right? We, of course, are citizens here. But our deeper, truer citizenship is elsewhere. It's a little bit like my daughter, Tracy, who lives right now in Cape Town, South Africa. She's a temporary citizen there, even given a temporary visa. And she's obeying the rules, and she's contributing to the common good. But her true citizenship is here. This is where her heart is. This is where her home is. This is where her allegiance lies. And so you and I are ambassadors here in this world, sent, as the Apostle Paul says, as agents of God's reconciling love and grace. Our citizenship, you see, and our real allegiance lies elsewhere, though. And this is so critical for us to remember as we journey through the political minefield of our day, lest we get confused And we come to believe that the world of partisan politics is our real home and the place of our deepest allegiance. And if we get confused on this one, we're in a world of trouble. So because our citizenship lies elsewhere and we are simply ambassadors here, we must steward our hearts so that we remember who we are and whose we are. Proverbs 4, verse 23, a very famous passage says, Above all else, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Out of our hearts, out of the very center of who we are, flow our lives, the scriptures say. And so why does God care so much about our hearts? 
Proverbs 27, 19, as water reflects a face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Our heart is the truest reflection of who we are. And so I want to ask you this morning, how is your heart? How is your heart? Think for just a minute about what all we're dealing with. Think about the robocalls, the surveys, the ads on TV with that scary lady's voice telling you, if you don't vote for this person, your world will surely end. Doesn't she not, isn't she not on every ad? If she's not, then you have the scary man voice, equally frightening. Think about your neighbor's Facebook post or the email forward your uncle sent you. Think about the newscasts that you hear and the radio personalities you listen to. Think about the claims, all the claims of socialism, of wars on women, claims that one candidate doesn't care about half the country, claims that both candidates don't care about the elderly, charges of Hitler or the Antichrist or who's outsourcing all the jobs, everybody barking about who's a real Christian, who might be a Muslim, who loves our country. Who hates it? All kinds of secret agendas. And I ask you, how is your heart in the midst of all of that? Seriously. How much are we allowing all of that political noise to form and shape our hearts? What do you find it filled with these days? Anger at those people? Fear? condemnation of people who think differently than you, you know, judgment. Maybe at times, if we're most honest, do you find your heart filled with some hatred? Or do you find, do you find your heart at peace? As the country around us seems to get more and more riled up and angry, is your heart filled with compassion and grace and peace and trust? See, we have to be aware of the messages that we allow into our hearts, what we listen to, what we watch, what we read, because those things form our hearts. And if you and I find ourselves listening consistently to polarized, angry, slandering voices that distort the truth about others or that constantly demonize those who think differently or who whip us up into a frenzy of fear and hatred as followers of Jesus and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we have to reconsider what we're doing. One pastor said, if we give our political ideologues and radio and TV hosts more time than we give Jesus, we are following the wrong master. So we're citizens of a different kingdom, you see, and we have to steward our hearts. And it's hard to do that right now. But we also, as citizens of a different kingdom, have to make sure that our behavior uh, in every part of life reflects our true citizenship. And, you know, most of us here know that and we get that. Even when it's hard, we still remember the teachings of the one we follow. But sometimes we get caught up in this myth that politics is a place where we can do or say whatever we please because everybody else does it. Brian Roberts, who's a church planter, wrote this in a little short article that I read the other day. He said, political discourse is the Las Vegas of Christianity. The environment in which our sin is excused. Hate is winked at. 
Fear is perpetuated and strife is applauded. He says, go wild, Christ follower. Your words have no consequences here. Jesus doesn't live in Vegas. Or at least we think when it comes to politics, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But it doesn't. You see, we don't get a pass from basic Christian ethics just because we step into the political world. Nothing, not one thing in the scriptures, I couldn't find it, says it's okay to be hateful and spiteful and slander other human beings just because we're talking politics or just because that person is a politician. Jesus actually does live in Vegas. And so what does that mean for us? as citizens of a different kingdom. First of all, it means we are called by Jesus to love people, even those with whom we disagree. Of all the people in this nation who should be demonstrating love for those with whom we disagree politically, it is followers of Jesus. This should be our signature behavior. The one thing that distinguishes us from all the rest Jesus, you know his words. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. And I actually think he meant this. But I tell you who hear me, he says, love your enemies. Do good. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Modern translation. Don't post slanderous stuff on Facebook. Or forward ridiculously mean and evil emails about political leaders and those who are running for office. It grieves God's heart when we do this kind of stuff. Practice having civil conversations with those who think differently than you. The holidays are coming. It'll be awesome. You know, I mean, we don't even listen to each other anymore. We just label each other and dismiss Be humble enough to ask questions and to actually listen to another human being. And I don't mean questions like, how can you be such an idiot? Okay, that's not what I mean. Or you believe what? Be humble enough to explain your views and opinions without anger or arrogance. Be willing to admit you may be wrong or another person's view on an issue might also have validity. They're called by Jesus to love, even those with whom we disagree, even those that we feel might hate us. We are called to love. And we are called by Jesus to respect people, even those with whom we disagree. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. We are not to badmouth and disrespect and slander those with whom we have honest political agreements. Because the deal is this. Honest, God-fearing Christian people come to different conclusions about political matters. And they are still Christians. Matthew and Simon had very different political opinions, so much so that zealots were sometimes known to assassinate tax collectors. 
And yet they were both followers of Jesus. We don't get to claim that only our views on political issues are truly Christian. Our job is to humbly hold our views and respectfully allow others to hold theirs without deciding that we get to announce their eternal destiny. We're called to respect our political leaders. And this is hard, even those for whom we did not vote. Scripture makes it very clear that as ambassadors of God's reconciliation, we are to pray for our leaders, and that Scripture makes no allowances for party affiliation. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2, I urge then, first of all, that requests and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. And if you've been coming to this 830 service for years, you have heard Ed do this almost every Sunday that he's leading worship in here. I heard him do this, pray for our political leaders and for our president when a Republican was in the office. And I hear him do it now when a Democrat is in the office. Ed is obeying scripture and it is a beautiful witness. Because we're citizens of a different kingdom, we're called to love, even in the world of politics. And because we're citizens of a different kingdom, we're called to respect others, even in the world of politics. And we're also called by Jesus, in all circumstances, to model Christ-like behavior. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, John writes, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Jesus was constantly being asked politically and religiously hot questions. Like who sinned that that man was born blind? Or who is the greatest? Or what can we do on the Sabbath? Or should we pay taxes to the Roman government? He got asked these questions all the time. And he always elevated the conversation. He kept himself up and out of the muck. And so that is what we are called to do too. And yet too often, those of us who bear the name of Christ jump right into the middle of the mudslinging and the personal attacks and the half-truths and the demonizing of other human beings. And when we do this, we tarnish our witness and we risk keeping people from Jesus. And this is so close to my heart as the mother of young adults in this country. David Kinnaman, who was the author of the book Unchristian, which is a Barna survey of young people both in and out of the church. It was done a while ago. And how they view Christians. He was asking young people how they view Christians in this country. He says this. He says, we are representatives of Jesus to every person in our culture. Ambassadors like Paul talks about, regardless of whether we agree politically. Our lives should reflect Jesus, which includes not just how we vote, but every element of our political engagements, our conversations about politics, as well as our attitudes toward ideological opponents. And again, so many get this here at Orchard. We're working very hard on this, and we applaud you who do this, but too many of us still don't. And there are consequences for this. In the same study, they found that three-quarters of young outsiders, people outside the church, and half of young people inside the church 
describe present-day Christianity as too involved in politics. And those same folks also said this, and this might be why they said too involved. They said Christians seem rude and ugly toward political opponents. You see, what's happening is too many young people are looking at us and they see the miss between the life and the teachings of Jesus on one hand and how many of us who follow this Jesus are behaving in the world of politics. And they look at that gap and they say about Jesus and about the church, no thanks. No thanks. And it's a tragedy. A pastor in Minnesota said this, and this this would be my, my heart. What if we could show the world that as Christians, we are beholden, that means our deepest allegiance is not to a certain political ideology or party, nor to a political or particular economic or social philosophy. Those are not where our ultimate allegiance lies, but that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God who live out our faith with the love and graciousness and conviction and humility that are characteristics of our family. What if we could do that? So we're citizens, you see, of a different kingdom, and we need to steward our hearts, and we get no pass on obedience in Vegas. We must love, we must respect, we must live as Christ lived, even when it's difficult. And last of all, we need to vote. You know, we are to be good citizens of whatever version of the kingdom of the world we find ourselves in. And one of the most important things we can do to serve our community and to serve our neighbors is to cast our vote. And we should vote joyfully and gratefully, my friends. We should celebrate our freedom to have differing ideas and the freedom to elect those who govern us. You can see all across the globe today that people all over the world fight and often die for this privilege. So we must not take it for granted. If you go vote in November and you have to stand in line for 10 minutes, let me just suggest to you that you might be grateful that you're not going to get killed. We should vote prayerfully. Vote your conscience. But realize that is probably what others are doing too. Your conscience is not your neighbor's conscience. Your conscience is not the only right way to be. So if you struggle with this part, I encourage you to spend some time in Romans 14 where Paul fleshes out what what we should do with disputable matters amongst Christians. We should vote responsibly. We need to be informed. And I know we have to work harder than ever to be informed, and we have to be savvy. We can't just trust one source. We have to read opinions and information on both sides of the political aisle. The world of politics is notorious for taking things out of context. Can I get a witness on that? And pushing the edge of truth. It is our job to be educated, and we can do it. And we are to vote humbly. We are to vote humbly. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then, what does he go on to say? Do you remember? Of all the words that Paul could use here as a way that we are to live out the calling we have received, should we be strong? Should we be courageous? Should we be forthright? Should we not hold back our opinions? What does Paul say? 
Live a life worthy of the calling. And then he says this, be completely humble and gentle. Along with love, humility should be the signature of the Christ follower. And we're to be realistic. We're voting for real fallen human beings, not saviors of the world. We should never place all of our trust in any candidate or any political party or in the outcome of any one election. And we should also not fall for the fear-mongering idea that the world will end if our candidate is not elected. That kind of talk dishonors the sovereignty of God. And we're to vote selflessly. There's nothing in this book that says, whatever you do, Christ follower, defend your own way of life, defend your money, defend your neighborhood, defend all the gifts that God has given you. There's nothing in here that says that. We of all people should vote for what's good for our neighbor as well as what's good for ourselves. So as citizens of the kingdom of God, We are called to a very different standard of success as we navigate the political world. Because here's the bottom line. You and I may end up voting for the candidate who actually is closest to God's own heart. And we may end up believing all the right things about every political issue. We actually maybe probably won't, but we could... (laughs) But if we do not have hearts overflowing with love toward God and overflowing with love toward our neighbor and overflowing with love toward our enemy, our vote means nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, our vote matters not one whit to God if it is not cast as an overflow from a heart filled to the brim with Calvary-like love. So, our heart is what matters. And I pray that as we walk through the remainder of these, you know, ramped up weeks and into a new season of politics, that we will guard our hearts. So we encourage you, we have voter registration forms here, if you're not registered, and we encourage um, all folks at Orchard, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, citizens of God's kingdom, to vote and to walk through this election cycle as the people of God. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are made to be filled with you. And yet the world offers these imitations that are so tempting to us. And it's so easy for us to maybe fill our hearts up with things just other than you. And politics tends to be one of those things. We end up giving our allegiance away and we end up thinking our behavior doesn't matter and we end up in a place you don't want us to be. So God, would you help us to be not only good citizens of this earth and this nation, but above all to be good citizens of your kingdom and representatives of your love and grace in this world. Amen.